And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all where there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed, and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got, if not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. The song, My Way, was popularized by none other than the late, great Frank Sinatra. Predictably, it spent 75 consecutive weeks on the top 40 list in the United Kingdom. It's been a year and a half on the top charts. It's a record that still stands to this very day. And the question that I want to ask is, why did the people in 1969 and 1970 love this song so much, and why do people to this very day still love this song so much? It's because we live in a self-absorbed, self-styled, self-made society. As Westerners, life is all about living life my way. Because of that, we don't have any desire to acknowledge other people, value other people, appreciate other people, follow other people's ways. Now follow this. You see, we feel like that is beneath us. We feel like that devalues our own value, our own glory. To acknowledge and imitate somebody else is to say, in effect, they have something that I need. They have something that I want. They have something that if I had, I would be better off having. And we don't want to say that because it devalues us. It makes us feel smaller. It makes us feel worse. It makes us feel less than them. And so we make a wholehearted commitment to, quote-unquote, be ourselves. We dig in and say, my way. And so I want to tell you, if you want to do it your way, if you want to do your own thing, if you want to be your own person, if you want to chart your own course, if you want to forge your own path, if you want to march to the beat of your own drum, if you want to be yourself, you have that right. You have that right as a human being, and you definitely have that right as an American citizen. But if you exercise that right, then you forfeit all claims on the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. The testimony of a Christian is this. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. For to me, to live is Christ. The testimony of a Christian is, I'm denying myself, I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following after Jesus. Redeemer Church, I want you to understand and embrace one very important fact. It's that when you make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are making a decision to cease to exist as an autonomous individual. 
It is no longer your way, it is His way. It is no longer your life, it is His life. It is no longer your course, it is His course. And embedded in the book of Philippians, in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, is that very message. If you haven't already turned your Bibles there, I invite you to turn to Philippians. And I want us to start, get a running start this morning in chapter 1. Because embedded in this letter is the message that it's not your way, it's Christ's way. It's not your life, it's Christ's life. It's not your rights, it's whatever Christ has called you to in this life to bring glory to His name. We see it by way of testimony. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul identifies himself and his brother Timothy as what? Servants of Christ Jesus. Literally, slaves of Christ Jesus. Doulos. A doulos, a slave, is somebody who has no rights. A slave is someone who is completely at his master's beck and call. He doesn't have rights. The only thing that he exists to do is to please the master. And so that's how he identifies himself. And look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says, It has become, become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment my imprisonment is because I'm asserting myself and my way and my course because I'm going to be me. Is that what he says? No. He says, my imprisonment is for who? For Christ. It is for Christ. Look at verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that I will be glorified, that I will be proclaimed, and that everybody will know the name the Apostle Paul. Is that what he says? No. He says, whether in pretense or in truth, who is proclaimed? Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I'm going to rejoice. And in verse 20, he says, That is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that whether with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. By way of testimony, we see from the Apostle Paul that living life as a Christian is living life underneath the authority of Christ for the glory of Christ, for the pleasure of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And then we see it by way of instruction. Look at verse 29 in chapter 1. Verse 29, he says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. It's all about Christ. It is the, the glory of Christ, the sake of Christ, the honor of Christ, the magnification of the person of Christ, and the advancement of the gospel of Christ. And he's saying, you have a great privilege to be able to suffer for His sake. Look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. In light of the idea of doing things my way, of charting my own course, of, of, of saying, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing and live my own way as an autonomous individual, look at what Paul would have to say. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, don't be selfish. Don't think my way. Think Christ's way. Don't think what's going to be in my best interest. Think what's going to be in the best interest of others. And so by way of instruction, he is saying, it's Christ's way. And then by way of pattern, he gives the ultimate, I guess that would be called the archetype, um, the prototype in the person and work of Jesus in verses, nine, in verses uh, 6, 7, and 8. And essentially in 6, 7, and 8, he says that Christ had the most humble mindset, that He lived the most humble life, and that He died the most humiliating death. And that's who we are to look to. Uh, our Savior is one who did not look for Himself and for His own glory, but He looked to others and for the glory of His Father. And so that's how He lived and that's how we are to live. 
And so then we get to verse 19. And he says, I'm now going to give you some examples of, of what it means to live Christ's way. I'm now going to give you some examples of what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after Jesus. I'm now going to show you what it means what it looks like when somebody says, I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling because I know that it is God who is at work in me, who is working His good pleasure. And I'm going to do this to honor Christ because my identity is wrapped up in Christ because I'm a slave of Christ. And church, before I read this passage, I want you to know, I am absolutely convinced that Paul is exposing Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples for us to follow. And the reason is this, is because in all other letters, when Paul writes, and he's going to say some things about individuals who are with him or who he's sending or who he loves, at what place in the letter does he write that? At the end. He writes it at the end. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to send uh, Paphroditus, he's a great guy, and just uh, receive him. Or, or I'm sending Timothy to you later, and, and uh, my brother in the faith, I hope you guys enjoy fellowship with him, you know, love and peace in Christ. Paul, you know, that's how it normally goes. But right here in the very middle of the letter, he exposes in what, 11, 12 verses, these two men. Why? Because he is putting them up as examples to follow in the manner of what it means to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. All right, so... Let's read the passage. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how to go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your minister and messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Keep your eyes on the text because I believe that this is a summary of what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Just look down at the text right here. I think, I think he's saying this, very soon I hope to send my beloved and trusted Timothy to bless you with the love of our Lord Jesus. But right now, I'm sending our selfless, servant-hearted brother Epaphroditus in order to relieve your anxiety and increase your joy in Jesus. So receive, honor, and follow men like this who live for the glory of Christ and joy of His people. Y'all see that? That's, that's, that's in essence what he's saying to the Philippians. And I think to make it even more simple and to make it more contemporary for us, if you would put up the big idea... The big idea is essentially honor the Christ-like servants in your life so you'll fulfill your own gospel calling and increase everyone else's joy in considering your own. Honor the Christ-like servants in your life so that you'll fulfill your own gospel calling and increase everyone's joy. Honor them. Honor them. We see that Really, the only exhortation and instruction in this entire passage is found in verse 29. He says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Hold them in high esteem. Hold them in high regard, some versions say. The idea is to esteem them, to elevate them, to, to give them great honor because they are worthy of that. And so church, this morning what I want to do is I want to call you to honor the Christ-like servants in your life. 
And see, by honoring the Christ-like servants in your life, then what are you doing? You're taking your eyes off of the mirror and you're putting your eyes on other people who live exemplary Christian lives and you're saying, I can learn from them. I can grow from them. I can bless them. I can encourage them. I can love them. And it doesn't take anything away from me. It's a blessing to be in fellowship and in friendship and companionship with people who are going to make me better, who are going to make me stronger, who are going to make me wiser, who are going to make me more loving. This is not in some way going to strip me of something that God wants for me. It's actually going to make me what God wants for me. What God wants me to be. And so church, I want to call you to honor the Christ-like servants in your own life. And I want to ask you to do that in three ways today. I first want to say, honor them by observing them. Honor them by observing them. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today in the text because I want us to observe these two Christ-like servants in Timothy and Epaphroditus, and then we can transfer that from them to other Christ-like servants who are in our own life today. But church, if we just put on our glasses and take some observations about these two men, first I want us to observe Timothy's affection. Observe his affection. Paul says, I want to send Timothy to you because there's nobody like him. What do I mean by there's nobody like him? He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. Like, he's sincerely concerned for your welfare. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I know Timothy, and this is what I know about him. He loves you guys. He cares about you. He prays for you. He talks about you. I mean, you're very important to him. He is genuinely concerned for you. It's not a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. It's not a bunch of talk. Oh, hey, brother. Hey, sister. Oh, it's great to see you again. No, he genuinely, sincerely cares for your souls. He has a great affection for you. He said, I want you to know that. And that's the reason I want want to send him to you because I know that he's going to seek your highest good. Paul observed Timothy's affection. We ourselves ought to observe Timothy's affection and say, you know what? What kind of affection do I have for the church of Jesus Christ? What kind of love do I have for the church of Jesus Christ? What what kind of love do I have for my brothers and sisters? Observe this man's love and say, you know what? I, I want love like that. I want to truly and earnestly pursue the highest good of the people in the body in which God has placed me. You know, the the fact is, church, is that we have a lot of love, but we sure could have a lot more. So let's observe his affection. Let's observe Timothy's ambition. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he's served with me in the gospel. You see, he prioritized the interest of Christ over his own. His ambition is to serve Christ and to think about Christ and the glory of Christ. He says, says, there's nobody like Timothy. Because you see, everybody else is seeking their own interests. You know, he probably has in mind these folks who are preaching the gospel out of ill motives. Remember how he talked about that in chapter 1? Oh yeah, there are a lot of people who profess Christ. There are a lot of people who preach Christ. But there aren't a lot of people who have the interest of Christ and the interest of others ahead of their own personal interests. It's true both outside in the world and inside in the church. And so Paul is saying this brother is exemplary. And we need to understand that while there are countless scores of people who are out for their own glory and their own way and their own praise and their own comfort, here's a brother named Timothy who is after your best interest and who is after the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Honor men like this. Observe them. See them. Take note of them because you're going to have to do something with that once you have taken note of it. Take note of his ambition 
and take note of his allegiance. Like, like he, his affection is for the people of God. His ambition is for the interests of Christ. And his allegiance is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has served with me in the gospel. He has proven his worth. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is like a son to me because of his faithfulness and perseverance in the gospel. His allegiance is the gospel and the gospel alone. And whatever is going to advance the gospel and whatever is going to proclaim the gospel and whatever is going to help the gospel get into the hearts of the people who love him, then that's what he is about. His allegiance is the gospel. Observe it. Observe it. Then he transitions to Epaphroditus. He says, you know, I, I would like to send Timothy to you right now, but I can't send to him right now. He's, he, he, he is with me and I need him now, but I'm going to send to you Epaphroditus. And I want you to observe some things about Epaphroditus. Observe Epaphroditus' loyalty. Look at his loyalty in verse 25. He essentially says he's a loyal brother, he's a loyal worker, and he's a loyal soldier. Those are very, very important terms and designations. Word brother. Paul is saying that we come from the same origin. We, we have a fellowship of family because we come from the same origin, and that origin is that God is our Father. We, we share brotherhood because God is our Father. We both were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were both lost, living our own way. And Jesus Christ invaded our lives and transformed our hearts and said, I am King of kings and Lord of lords and you're going to have a new way and a new life. And I was born again and Epaphroditus was born again and we have been brothers ever since then and we are close. So I want you to observe Epaphroditus' loyalty as a brother. Like Paul is not sending this guy who who he's, he's a little sketchy, or the verdict is still out on him. He calls him a brother because he knows they share the same affection for the same father. Notice his, his loyalty as a worker. He says he's a fellow worker. This is a, a together with worker. He's a laborer. He's a toiler. He's a worker. He, he said this guy works hard for the, for the advancement of the gospel. You know, the fact is, we have too many Christian vacationers and not enough Christian workers. We have too many Christian lobbyists and not enough Christian laborers. We have too many people who want all the benefits of the gospel, justification, glorification, but we don't have enough people who are rolling up their sleeves and working for the sake of the gospel toiling for the sake of the gospel, laboring for the sake of the gospel, making sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, saying, I'm going to take a, an entire Saturday for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to take my vacation for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to take my time to, for the sake of the gospel. We don't have enough of that. And that's why Epaphroditus stands out among the others because he is a true laborer. He works, he toils, he labors to advance the glorious good news that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. And he also says he's a loyal soldier. Paul understood some one very important spiritual reality that I think we often miss is that spiritual life is warfare. Paul told the Ephesians, he said, listen, you need to put on the armor. You need to put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel. You need to take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and you need to stand firm because you are in a war every single day. Paul knew it and he did that every day and he had this guy beside him named Epaphroditus who was a Philippian 
who had come down from Philippi to bring encouragement and love and resources and helps to Paul while he was in prison. He brought him all the things that Paul needed to thrive inside this prison. And he then stayed for a long time with Paul to bring encouragement and care for the Apostle Paul. And so they had hung out together, no doubt in Philippi, but now inside this prison. And Paul is saying he is a fellow soldier. He stands every day. He puts on that helmet. He puts on that breastplate. He puts puts on that belt. He puts on those shoes. He takes up that shield. He puts that sword in his right hand and he goes to battle every day for the glory of God. And he says, hey, he's, he's loyal. He's loyal like that. And you need to observe that in him. Now, church, I think it's important for us to realize that Epaphroditus normally doesn't make anybody's hall of fame. I mean, I could be wrong here, but is anybody's favorite life verse found in Philippians 2, 19-30? Probably not. Probably not. But you know, in, in successful military operations, it takes all kinds of soldiers. It takes generals and captains. And in today's world, it takes computer engineers it takes frontline soldiers. It takes special forces. It takes infantry. It takes medics. It takes pilots to produce a successful military operation. And Epaphroditus wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't a worship leader on Sunday mornings. What was he? He was a loyal soldier who put on the armor of God every day and served and loved and fought. And Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, he is every bit as valuable to the kingdom of Christ and the glory of God as I am. You need to honor men like this. He says, observe his ministry. And he, he's a messenger. He... He's a minister. I mean, th th this word messenger, church, is the Greek word apostolos. Apostolos. It's where we get our word apostle. What is an apostle? It's somebody who's sent. It's a sent one. A sent one. What is, what is a paradise? He's just somebody who's been sent. He's on an errand. He's on a mission. And this mission, he... he he could have been like, why? Why am I the one that's chosen to, 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 to make the long trek from Philippi down to Rome and to deliver all this stuff? There's so many other things that I could be doing. But he didn't have that, he didn't have that mindset. He had the mindset that I'm advancing the glory of Christ and the kingdom of God by taking these resources to the Apostle Paul. And he valued that place in, in the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm going to do it with everything that I have. He's a messenger and he's a minister. He's, a, he, he's someone who who serves other people's needs. That's what a minister is here. This, this, word, this word minister is where we get our word liturgy. What is liturgy? A liturgy just serves the people of God. It's a public way to serve the people of God. And that's all he is. He's a public servant who just cares for the needs of people. That's what he is. And, and Paul would say, observe his ministry. Observe the fact that he's a, a mere messenger. Observe the fact that he's a minister. And say, hey, that's important in the kingdom of God. And then observe Epaphroditus' love. Notice, notice in verse 26, it says, He's been longing for you all. And he's been distressed because he was ill. Is that what it says? It doesn't say he was distressed because he was ill. He's been distressed because you heard he was ill. You see, when we get sick, <laughs> we're distressed because we're sick. And, and honestly, we want other people to be distressed because we're sick. <laughs> All right? And, and, and we, we want as many people to know that we're sick because that maybe they can help us out a little bit in our sickness, at least feel pity for us. And Epaphroditus is such an exemplary Christian and such an exemplary Christian servant and worker and lover of God's people, that the thing that makes him distressed is not his sickness, but the fact that the people whom he loves are distressed because he's sick. Right. Yeah. 
This is the spirit of selflessness. This is the spirit of love. This is a spirit of saying, you know what? It's not my own interest. It's the interest of others that are foremost in my mind and in my heart. And he's an exemplary Christian servant because of this. So church, what are we doing right here in 19-30? through 30, We're observing Timothy's affection, ambition, and allegiance. We're, we're observing Epaphroditus' loyalty and ministry and love. And we're saying, this, this is what it means to work out your salvation. This is what it means to live worthy of the Gospel of Christ. This is what it means to have the same mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. Let's observe them. Let's see them. Let's take note of this kind of mindset and this kind of heart. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would say then, observe the Christ-like examples in your own life. Observe them. Take note of their Christ-like character. Started studying this on Monday, of course. And immediately, as I read it through just one time, the Lord really brought my mind and my heart to contemplate, to observe the Christ-like servants who have been in my life for years. I thought of my friend Mark, who loved Jamie and me when we first really started dating and, and then getting engaged and how he had us in his home and counseled us. And here we are college students, and we have no relation to this man. We have no blood relationship. We have no long-term friendship. We just met in the last couple of years. And all of a sudden, Mark and his wife start giving to Jamie and me $75 a month in cash to support us in college because they just want to love us and care for our need. Wow. That was an amazing act of generosity. It made an impact on us in an incredible way. We observed that. We were moved by that. I think of my, my friend Jeff, who I went to seminary with, and I think about how deeply he, he thinks about Scripture, and he thinks about the message of God in the Word of God. And instead of turning to a bunch of books, instead of turning to a bunch of commentaries, he just thinks and prays and thinks and prays and then comes out of his closet so full of the Holy Spirit because he's full of the Word of God. And you know, church, I take note of that. I took note of it when I was in seminary with him. I still take note of it today. And I say to myself, Ryan, learn from that. Learn from that. I thought of my friend John. I've known for 17 years and... Then I've worked with him off and on for over 17 years. And, and oftentimes I, I see myself and how I would deal with a problem or a person or a situation and kind of go st straight lined. And I've seen John deal with people and with problems with the utmost manner of grace and mercy and compassion and circumstances. And the Lord this week was reminding Ryan, take note of that. Yeah. Observe that. I think of my, my friend Matt who came to Christ in college who I've told you guys about before and I talked with on the phone with him a couple of weeks ago and his gospel zeal, his excitement for the advancement of Christ is no less now than it was 15 years ago when he came to Christ and I said, Ryan, take note of that. Observe it in his life. Take note of it. See it. That's important. I've got, I've got a friend who most of you know he is the best listener I have ever been around. I sit down with him and he just looks at me in the eyes and he asks me questions and I talk. And then he doesn't just say, oh, I've got a story like that too. Or I've had an event like that as well. Or I've done this too. Or what about this or what about that? No, he just draws me out further and further and wants to know what's going on, not only in my life, but inside my heart. And he is not concerned about telling me about his life or his situation. Ryan, learn from that. Yeah. Observe it. See it in his life. Because you're going to need to do something about it. Yeah. I have friends who will call me on the phone and leave you know, a, a, a minute and 37 second voicemail. And they could have just said, Ryan, give me a call when you get a chance. But they say, Ryan, I just want to know, brother, I love you. And I'm praying for you today. And I observe their sincerity. I observe their genuineness. I say to myself, Ryan, observe that, see it, take note of it, because you're going to need to use that. Yeah. 
Church, you are making one of the worst mistakes of your life if you simply chart your own course, live your own life, do your own thing, be your own self, and you don't observe the Christ-like examples that God has graciously and mercifully set before you and all around you. Let's observe them. Let's take note of them. Let's see them. And so, once we honor them by observing them, let's honor them by valuing them. Let's honor them by valuing them. And this is is straight application right here. Okay, the word value esteem and honor, you know, what we see in this text, it has the idea of, of holding them dear, treating them as precious, treating them as something very special. So how do we do that? I mean, that sounds really good, but if we don't put feet to that, then we're, we can leave today and our relationships with Christ-like servants could be no different once we leave, then, then they are once we do. So this is what I want, to, I want to give you, kind of like four ways to value the Christ-like servants in your life. And this is, the, this is the first way, is to value them in your heart. Value them in your heart. Yeah, so, so I think that's where we go wrong, is that we don't really... That, that, this is the testimony of how selfish we are. We're so selfish that even when we see people around us who are wonderful, amazing, faithful, generous Christians, we'll say something like, well, praise God for that person. And we will move right on. But we don't let their example and their love penetrate down to our heart. And so what I'm saying by valuing them in your heart is, is taking note how special they are, how, how faithful they are, how important they are to your life, and holding them dear inside of you. And church, we are absolutely supposed to, and we have the privilege to, hold our family members dear to us. But if the only people that we hold dear in our hearts are our family members... We need to question the validity of our Christian testimony. Because Paul holds dear in his heart those who are servants of Christ, those who are soldiers of Christ, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ in the warfare that is the advancement of the kingdom of God in a dark world. And so we need to hold dear in our hearts. We need to love them. We need to treasure them. We need to think about them. We need to meditate on their influence on our lives. We need to hold them dear in our heart. Second, we need to value them in your prayers. Value them in your prayers. Okay, so let's do this exercise right now. Um, Think about a Christ-like servant in your life right now. Just think about one. And think about one specific attribute that that Christ-like servant displays that is winsome and that you would love to have in your own life. Think about that right now. Okay, so to value that person is to stop and thank the Lord that they are demonstrating such grace in their life. It is to thank the Lord that they possess that kind of character that God from heaven is sending down a channel, a channel of God's grace. It, it, is, it is coming from heaven all the way down to earth and it is being filtered through and funneled through that person you're thinking about right now into your life. And you need to say, Lord, thank You for Your grace that has come straight from heaven through that person. Praise Your name. I thank You for them. And I thank you that they are faithful to display that character trait when I am around them because I am blessed. I am better because of it. And then, once you thank them 
for their grace in your life, then you also pray for them to persevere in that. You pray for them to expound on that. You pray that God will bless their efforts in that attribute and in that characteristic so that the church will be better. So that the church will shine as lights in the dark world. So that the church will magnify the glory and praise and honor of Jesus Christ. And so you're thanking God for them and you're praying for them. You're interceding on their behalf that they might get stronger. So value them in your heart. Value them in your prayers Value them in your speech. Value them in your speech. Value them in your speech to them. Articulate to those Christians who are Christ-like how much of a blessing they are to you. Tell them that. Bless them with an encouraging message that says, I appreciate you. I value you. I love you. I'm better because of you. My life is richer. My life is deeper. I know Christ better because I know you. And I want you to know that. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. And I don't think that we should be shy about about valuing them in our speech to other people. Oh, that, that John, what, what a blessing he is to us. What a treasure he is to the church. What, what a blessing he is to our music team. What, a, what an encouragement he is to our body. You notice how, you know, it's not flattery. It's encouragement. It's building up. It's, it's edification. It's using your speech. And what is it doing, church? It's again taking your eyes off of the mirror. It is taking your speech away from yourself. And it is putting on somebody else who is building up the body of Christ. Selflessness. That's the very thing that Paul is encouraging in this passage. And I want to say, value them in your actions. Value them in your actions. What do I mean by that? If you're a sister, give another sister a hug. If you're a brother, give another brother a hug. I mean, physically embrace them, but also physically do things for them that are going to encourage them. And write them a note. If you know they're involved in a ministry and you can buy a book that will help them in their ministry, buy them a book and present that book to them or or do something action-wise to encourage and build up and strengthen and promote these Christ-like servants in your life. And I'm sure there are other ways, but church, value them in your heart, value them in your speech, value them in your prayers, value them in your actions, but value them. Don't treat them as if they are small. Don't treat them as if they are nothing. Don't treat them as if they could just be blown and whisked out of your life and your life would be no different. Listen, if your life would be no different if the Christ-like servants moved out of your life, then you are wanting of the grace of Christ. I see this like in, in Joshua and Moses' relationship. Like Joshua obviously learned from Moses and was blessed by Moses and then took the baton of leadership from Moses and went into the promised land. And he, he learned from Moses all of those years and was blessed by him. I see that in Ruth and Naomi's relationship. Can you guys remember when all of the tragedy happened with their husbands? And, and Naomi is saying, you, you need to go back to Moab. You need to find you a husband there. And Ruth just says, listen, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And your God is going to be my God. And your people are going to be my people. And what, what, what was she doing? She was blessing Ruth with her words and with her actions and saying, I'm going to follow you. You think about David and Jonathan's relationship. And I believe that they both saw graces in one another's life and faithfulness in one another's life. And just as iron sharpens iron, they sharpened one another and blessed one another and built one another up. We see that all throughout Scripture, church, where God's people value one another in prayerfulness, in words of love, in actions of love, in in, in a heart attitude that ultimately makes the church better and more glorious and shine as greater lights. Honor them by valuing them. And third, honor them by imitating them. So let's take some... 
take some examples. I, this would be a great opportunity to meditate. So could you identify someone in your life right now who has great faith? Someone who just, just believes God, just trusts God. Like you may be one that, that is tempted toward being overwhelmed by your circumstances and you're, just, you're not really sure how things are going to work out, but when you're around this brother or this sister, their trust in God is great. They believe God for great things and for small things, and it bolsters your faith. All right, if you're somebody like that in your life, this is what I want to say. Definitely honor them by observing that and by valuing that. But be like that. Don't just say, oh man, she's got great faith. I, I wish I could have great faith like that. No. Say, sister, you've got great faith. You trust the Lord, and I really want to trust the Lord and have great faith. Could you, could you help me have better faith? Could you help me have greater trust in our Lord? How, how have you cultivated that in your life? Because I want to be like that. And so we're going to one another and we're asking for that. I want you to think about somebody who has great love. Now, who, who's the most loving person that you have the privilege to know? How do they demonstrate their love? All right, take note of that. Value that. But you say, I want to be like that. I want to do those kinds of things. And listen, oftentimes, church, love is very reproducible. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think to ourselves, Christ is, is calling me to give everything I've got. He's calling me to lay it all down. And so we think to ourselves, okay, I'm going to take everything I've got. I've got $1,000 right here. $1,000. I'm giving this $1,000 bill right here on the table. It belongs to Christ. And Christ would say, pick up the $1,000. Go to the bank. And go get quarters. Go get $1,000 worth of quarters. Because I'm going to call you not to throw a $1,000 bill on the table. I'm going to call you to put a quarter in here, a quarter in there, a quarter in here for the rest of your life. That's what it looks like to be a Christ-like servant. So the question is, who is it around you that puts in quarters all the time? Oh man, their name isn't on the front of the paper. I mean, they're, 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 nobody's writing blogs about them. But when you are around them, man, you are so blessed. And it's subtle. It's subtle, but you're blessed because they're loving. That's what I want to say. See them. Value them. But imitate them. Be like them. Say, I want to be like that. I want to do those things. I want to exalt Christ in that way. I want to bless the people of God. I'm going to start doing what they're doing. Imitate their joy. I think, church, um, there are reasons why we really struggle with joy. But one of the reasons we struggle with joy is because we're such a self-focused society. And so when we're so focused on ourselves, then we're concerned about our lot in life. We're concerned about what we have not when other people have. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and we always see the very best versions of people's lives. And so we're looking at this idealized life of our friend from high school or the person that we graduated from college with. And then we look at our lives and we're like, man, I don't make as much money. My kids aren't as beautiful. My, my, my house isn't nearly as big. I don't drive nearly as nice a car. I don't go to St. Thomas for vacation. And I, what, what, what is this? I'm so unhappy. And the fact is, is that Paul was the most joyful person in the world, sitting in a prison cell, yeah. not possessing a house or a car or a family or children or grandchildren. Why? Because he had Christ. Yeah. And his joy was based not on his circumstances, but on his Savior Amen. and that he possessed him. And so, church, we need to look at people with joy, real excitement and zeal for Jesus, we want to say, we want to be like that. We, we want our pleasure not to be driven by circumstances and material things, but on the fact that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners and a Savior to people who need Him, and our joy is found in the fact that He loves us, then we belong to Him, and one day we'll be like Him. Good. Good. So, 
I just say honor them by imitating them. And the only way to imitate them is to be around them, to see them, to value them, and then to talk with them and to ask, how do you have that in your life that I can have it as well? So church, when you come to the end of your life, my prayer is that you will not say, I did it my way. My prayer is that you will be able to say, I did it Christ's way. I did it His way. I followed Him, and I followed others as they were following Him, and my life is in fact richer, better, deeper, sweeter, and more robust because I rejected the glory of self, and I embraced the glory of Christ, and I followed after those who followed Him. I want to ask you to please uh, bow. If you could, just get in a, in a meditative posture. Because I'm going to ask you a few questions in hopes that you will really take this to heart and see some life change because of it. So right now, I want you to ask the question, who are the people in my life who live in a Christ-like manner? Who are the people in my life who live in a Christ-like manner? Okay, in what specific ways do they model Christ-likeness? All right. Now, what are some practical ways you can honor those people in your life? Some of you might have thought about three or four people. I want you to ask practically, how can you honor them today? How can you honor them this week? How can you observe them? How can you value them? And how can you imitate them? Because if you don't observe, value, and imitate them, starting today, then you're like a hearer who listens to the Word of God and walks away unchanged and unfazed. Church, don't be a hearer only. Be a doer today. And value, honor the Christ-like servants in your own life. For Jesus' sake. Amen.